You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, produced by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas. Learn something new in every episode as we interview UNT faculty, subject matter experts, and lifelong learners in our community. To learn more about our non-credit courses and events, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu, or send us an email at olli at unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ollie at UNT Advisory Council President, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I am speaking today with Dr. Catherine Alsop. Dr. Alsop is an audiologist and clinical educator at the University of North Texas Speech and Hearing Center. She graduated with her Doctorate of Audiology from the University of Texas at Dallas and currently holds a Certificate of Clinical Competence from the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association and Certification in Vestibular and Concussion Management. Since the UNT Hearing Clinic is a teaching clinic, she diagnoses and treats patients while teaching audiology doctoral students clinical skills. Her specialties include adult diagnostics, rehabilitation, tinnitus testing and management, and vestibular diagnostics and management. After attending Dr. Alsop's class, Hearing Loss and the Importance of Diagnosis, Treatment, and Rehabilitation for Ollie, I couldn't wait to get her behind the microphone so that we could share this crucially, vitally, very, very, very important information with everyone possible. So please listen up. In fact, I immediately went home and emailed my friends who are Ollie members and told them that they really had to make time to attend Dr. Alsop's next presentation. As a speech pathologist, I was aware of many facets of hearing loss, but I was very surprised to learn some of the significant details from recent research, so closely linking untreated hearing loss with dementia. Before we talk more about these important findings, let's go through some of the basics first. Welcome. Hi, great to be here. It's great to have you here. Let's start off with a good layman's definition for hearing loss and let us know if it's treatable. So hearing loss is essentially some type of disruption within the ear. There are different parts of the ear, and anytime there's a disruption in any of those parts, it's considered a hearing loss. There are different types of hearing losses, so some are treatable and some aren't. The types of hearing loss that are treatable tend to be in the outer ear, which is the part you can see on the head, and then the ear canal the eardrum and the part right behind the all the bones in the ear that's the middle ear those two places if there's an obstruction there we can usually treat it but anything within the inner ear which is the cochlea kind of a snail shaped portion right before we get to the auditory nerve that if there's a disruption or difficulty with the processing there then we can't treat that at least not right now hopefully in the future but right now there's no treatment for it yeah hopefully I know that the field of audiology is making great gains in what the knowledge of hearing science. So let's keep our fingers crossed (laughs) Mm -hmm. on that. If they could only replace some of those little hairs in there, we'd all be 
happier for it. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say I might have a hearing loss. Mm -hmm. What kind of signs would I notice? There are some that a lot of people sort of recognize. The difficulty with understanding people when there's background noise. Turning up the TV is one that generally hear a lot, an indicator that you're having some difficulty with understanding. Some of the ones that people don't recognize as much are things like tinnitus, which is sounds in the ears like ringing or buzzing. That is very closely linked with hearing loss, and so that can be a sign of a hearing loss. Difficulty remembering auditory information is another big sign. If you have a hearing loss, then your brain's kind of working overtime to compensate for it. And it has a hard time storing the auditory information to bring it up later for memory. So that can also be a sign that a lot of people aren't aware of. But generally also just having difficulty with one-on-one -on -one conversations or with background noise, those can be key signs that there might be some issue with hearing. Why is it that this tinnitus would occur if you had a hearing loss? What's the mechanism in that? Tinnitus can be caused by a lot of different things, but the main thing that we see is a connection between some sort of damage to the ear and the ringing or whatever sound happens to happen. Uh, ringing is most common, but also buzzing, crickets, some people hear music, all of those can be classified under tinnitus. And a lot of times it's the brain knowing that there should be something there, but it's experiencing what is called auditory deprivation, which is basically the brain is deprived of some auditory information. And when it's deprived of that information, often that tinnitus comes when the brain is saying, Let's have a sound here. We're trying to figure out a sound here. Why isn't there a sound here? So it's created this sound to listen to. Other causes of tinnitus could be things like medications, sometimes cause some damage that can create the sound. Sometimes damage to the head or to the ear, more physical damage. That can cause an issue, but the majority of the time it will be a hearing loss. About 90% of people with tinnitus will have hearing loss. So could that be treated? Not really. Tinnitus isn't something that we can fix, basically. There's no cure for it. There's management strategies, definitely. Audiologists are the ones who assess it and will try to treat it and manage it as much as possible. About 60% of the time, just wearing hearing aids helps because you're pulling in that information and helping the brain to focus in on everything it's supposed to hear versus just what it thinks it's supposed to hear. So hearing aids are kind of the first thing we start to look at. And then after that, if it doesn't help as much, if the tinnitus is severe enough, then we look at other managing strategies. Well, let's say that my hearing loss makes it difficult or impossible to hear a sound at a certain frequency, a mm -hmm. certain type of sound, say maybe a high-pitched sound. Mm -hmm. Would my brain actually forget that sound? Could that happen? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's something... The brain kind of works like any other muscle, right? So if you go a long time without using that part of the brain, then it kind of gets pruned out. 
the brain assumes that there isn't anything that's important there. And so it really starts to focus on everything else that it is using that it can focus on. So when you start to try to hear those sounds again or start to try to compensate for those sounds, then the brain has more difficulty and more difficulty really figuring out what it should have been hearing, trying to fill in the blanks, and it's just losing out on that portion that you haven't heard for a long time. Well, one of the most striking things I learned in your class is the link between hearing loss and memory. Mm -hmm. What is the connection and why does it happen? So kind of like I said before, the auditory deprivation is the biggest concern when we look at cognitive processing and hearing loss. When we have a deprived area of the brain that's just not being used, not functioning, then it's not only affecting your ability to hear, but it's also affecting everything you use auditory information for. A lot of information comes auditorily, whether it's you're talking to someone one-on-one and they're giving you instructions or telling you a place to meet them or a time, important information with your doctor's office, or even just listening to the news. All of that is auditory information that is then stored. But if your brain isn't hearing the information, isn't processing the information, then it can't go into the memory bank. And so any of that sound, any of that processing of auditory information just can't happen. And so that affects your ability to remember and process anything that someone tells you. So it really starts to affect your ability to store information, particularly short term, because it hasn't been able to really truly be processed appropriately. So it really is this the amount of auditory information that your brain has to kind of take and store isn't isn't happening essentially because it can't hear those sounds. That's such an incredible piece of information Mm -hmm. to know. I mean, we're all concerned about brain health and yet I haven't seen a lot about it in looking at what you find on, easily find in a lot of popular literature on brain health. They talk about a lot of other things about that are important socialization, (laughs) which also has an effect, I know, on hearing loss, which I'm sure you you can add to that, Mm -hmm. but also learning and, and those kind of things. So if you or another audiologist would fit me with hearing aids, if I had a hearing loss, they're a device that's not only good for my ears, but very powerful for my brain and Mm -hmm. potentially a powerful weapon against dementia and is it Alzheimer's as well, do you think? Not necessarily Alzheimer's as much because there's a lot more that goes on with Alzheimer's beyond just a cognitive issue. It's definitely more of dementia and cognitive uh, processing issues really is what hearing aids tend to help with and what are most impacted by a hearing loss. When we're looking at do hearing aids help with preventing that sort of thing, There's been, it's been more recent literature, honestly, that we're starting to really look at that, that connection between them, because just in the past five to 10 years, we've started to learn a lot about how hearing loss is so strongly connected with dementia, which is one of the reasons why you don't see it as much is Mm -hmm. it's just new and people aren't aware of it. So now as we're starting to learn that more research has been done with, okay, we know there's a big impact here. We know it's a concern. What can we do? 
And hearing aids are really the treatment for that sort of hearing loss at this point. So, okay, do hearing aids help with preventing this? Or do hearing aids help with just a a day-to-day ability to cognitively process? And so far, the research has been very promising and looking at that, yes, once we get that sound still being processed in the brain, then we're able to really truly look at we're keeping that cognitive processing. We're keeping that memory as much as we can. There are other factors, of course, to things like dementia and cognitive decline, but looking at hearing loss, hearing aids do provide benefit in those areas. And we're really starting to notice that it's helping not just with cognitive processing too, but also physical things like fall risk. Oh, it helps really? a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It helps a lot with fall risk. A mild hearing loss has three times the uh, fall risk as someone with normal hearing. So. That's incredible. Why is that? Mm-hmm. It's generally because the we're, we're thinking more as we do research that when there's damage to the inner ear, the hearing part of the inner ear, it also may affect the balance part of the inner ear. So there's kind of a connection there where there might be both being affected at the same time. There's also, you use auditory information to help you know where you are in space and time. And so if you're missing out on sounds, even mild amount of sounds, then it's more difficult to know where you are and to be able to hear soft cues about your physical space. So having even just a mild amount of hearing loss can affect your just your ability to hear and process those sounds. So at what age and how often should people begin to have their hearing tested? I know people go every year Mm -hmm. and get their vision checked. Yeah, you know, the risk of hearing loss increases exponentially after the age of 65. And even younger than that, if there's been any history in the family of hearing loss or any history of noise exposure, particularly concerts, concerts, yep, (laughs) concerts. If you had, you know, a dad that took you out shooting at a young age or you were in the military, a musician, any of those things can cause a hearing loss at a much younger age. So if you had any of that in your life, then even at the age of 55, you want to start getting it checked because the sooner we can get it checked, the sooner we identify hearing loss, the sooner we can start treatment and the more prevention down the road. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not so much a matter of if, Mm -hmm. but when. Yes. Yes, everyone will have hearing loss at some point, sadly. After a certain period of time, you just, your hair cells in that inner ear just get battened down after processing sound after sound after sound, and they stop working as well. It's a natural aging process, but good pure hearing is really in those teen years. So everything after that, you start to have damage to that ear. So it happens a lot younger than even people expect and that we're learning. It happens a lot younger than you would think. So it's, it's never a problem to start getting your hearing checked. Do you think the earbuds that people are wearing when they listen to music might have an effect on how young the hearing loss begins? It depends. Definitely there's some correlation there. I think more research needs to be done to show true, you know, how much of that sound is a correlation with younger hearing loss. We're definitely seeing that just the amount of time you spend listening to music at a certain level can really start to damage your ears. So absolutely that can be a risk. 
So why is it that people seem to not think anything about getting their vision tested, but wait for so long to get their hearing <laughs> checked? What is that about? I think there are several things that play into this. It's easy to kind of see when you have a vision problem. Your brain doesn't compensate as well for vision issues. With a hearing loss, since it starts and it's so, so gradual, it's very gradual, it happens tiny little pieces over time, your brain compensates really well. It says we're missing something, but we remember what that sound was. Let's fill in that blank we no longer have. And it gets to a point eventually where the brain is no longer able to fill in that blank, and that's when people start to say, I think I might have some hearing issue here. So I think that's a big part of it is just not being as aware because your brain is is being helpful by kind of working together, but it's also preventing you from knowing that there's that big difference. So if people start to sound like they're mumbling all the time, you exactly. better go. Go pay exactly. doctor, I'll stop a visit. <laughs> yep, that's a that's a big clue. If people start to say, why can't you hear me? Or you notice every conversation, you're starting to say, what, huh? Can you repeat that? That's all definitely signs. And again, it's always better to get it checked earlier rather than later. There's no harm in getting it checked at 55 versus 75, except that we might be able to prevent further issues down the road. It's always best to get it checked at least least once a year, just like your vision, even if there are no problems. Can you give us an idea of percentages on ages? After the age of 65 to 75, it's usually about 25% of people have a disabling hearing loss. Not just hearing loss, but really disabling. So there might be just a mild, very mild hearing loss in those high pitches that we don't necessarily need to treat, but there is a start there. It's about 25%. Once you get to 70, 75 and older, then you get up to about 50%. Wow. So it rises exponentially over time. And once you get to 80 and above, then it just keeps rising. So at some point, that number is 100%. But it really is just a steep slope up from that age. So what is the research showing so far in terms of the likelihood of developing dementia as it goes along with your percentage of hearing loss? We don't have enough research to show a lot of numbers. Honestly, at this point, there has to be a lot more longitudinal studies to give us some of that. We know that hearing loss is 9% of the risk for dementia and cognitive decline. That's the largest modifiable risk factor. So it's basically the biggest thing that you can do to help, actively help make sure that you don't develop a cognitive decline is get your hearing checked. So we know it's a big part of it. We just don't have true numbers at this point that I would reliably say these are good percentages. But definitely when we're looking at how hearing loss affects you as a whole, not just your brain, but also, like you said, your social ability and your quality of life. And that's just even more exponentially causing that cognitive decline. So we know it works together with a lot of different factors to cause some type of issue down the road with your memory and your brain processing. 
even even just a mild hearing loss can definitely double the risk of a cognitive decline. We know that that's true. So the risk is there no matter what what happens. Even if you're at 75 and we're identifying just a little bit of hearing loss and you say, mm, do I really want to do something about it? I don't notice a big difference in my life. It's really, we're starting to look at preventing cognitive decline down the road. So hearing aids aren't just to help you in a day-to-day -day experience with understanding people, but they're also actually preventative treatment for issues. Even just a mild issue ends up causing issues down the road. I hear all the time about people who get <laughs> hearing aids and they put them in. Oh, I don't like the way that sounds. So they end up in a drawer or in a pocket. Or I know what my dear mother used to say, <laughs> well, nobody's talking to me now. I don't need them. What are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, it's a waste. <laughs> it's a waste of your money to, to have that happen. And it's a waste of, of your time and your treatment. So there are so many things that can be done with hearing aids, with processing. So the, the first thing to do is talk to your audiologist and say, hey, something's going on with these. I'm not necessarily liking this. But another big part of it is that it's, it's your brain. Your brain is saying there are sounds here that we haven't heard in a while. So it's focusing in on those sounds because you don't realize that that's actually what normal sounds are. So it feels uncomfortable at first. Exactly. Does the brain sort of have to relearn that or readjust? Absolutely, yes. I really liken it to more like physical therapy. So over time in physical therapy, you have to retrain a muscle to work a certain way. And the same thing happens with the brain. It's not used to working and processing sound appropriately. So once we get those hearing aids on, at first we start it at kind of a low, more comfortable level, but it's still going to be weird, <laughs> still going to be different. You really have to acclimate to the new sound. And if you don't wear them, you can't acclimate. Just like, you know, making sure you do your physical therapy exercises at home, same sort of thing. If you don't wear them, if you don't actively pursue that, then it's always going to sound weird. It's always going to be abnormal. So it's really important to at least wear them and say, you know, go to your audiologist and say, hey, what's going on? Do I need to wear them? Is this something we need to reprogram them? There are so many things that we can do. And if they're just sitting in a drawer, then... I feel like that's a waste of your time and money. And when... a lot of money. Exactly. They're expensive. Yeah, they, they but are. so much has gone on with the technology and hearing Absolutely. aids and being able to fit an individual's particular loss and mm -hmm. change for the environment. That's amazing. They really have started to integrate almost um, AI sort of processing, basically. A lot of dynamic neural network processing, automatic adjustments based on whole environments, not just on you know certain pitches that you have hearing loss at. We're looking at sounds as a whole, so differentiating between things like a baby crying and someone talking to you. They have some of the same pitches in there, but we don't want to hear a baby crying. <laughs> we want to focus in on that person speaking. So the hearing aids being able to realize and recognize and process those sounds appropriately makes it comfortable, makes it sound more natural. 
particularly as you wear them and your brain starts to get used to hearing the full sound, but really start to focus in on this is a sound we need to focus in on. So the hearing aids are kind of, it's an aid. It's helping the brain to reprocess sound again. And as the technology has gotten better and better, they're easier and easier to use, which has been fantastic. That's great. That's such encouraging news, especially as I get older. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I first got my progressives, my Mm -hmm. glasses with the different levels on my lenses. And it did take a while to get used to it. Felt very odd at first, but now I couldn't do without them. Mm -hmm. How long do you think it takes people on an average to get used to wearing their hearing aids? It depends on how much they wear them. Ah, if they're wearing them you regularly. You that, everybody? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you wear them, it's always faster. It's always faster. So wearing them as much as possible, even if you're not listening to anything, because we don't, we don't live in a vacuum. There's sound around us all the time. And those sounds, your brain needs to hear, even if it's just the refrigerator running or you're hearing cars around you as you're walking outside. All of those are sounds that you still need to hear. And if you aren't hearing them, then your brain can't process them. Then it's not actually truly hearing everything around you. So the more you wear them, the easier it is to get used to them. After you get the hearing aids, if this first time getting hearing aids, then within two weeks, you'll start to notice getting used to them. You might not get completely used to them, but usually by four to six weeks, again, wearing them regularly, everything sounds like it should. So it's not a a long process, but it does definitely take some work of wearing them. You mentioned auditory training Mm -hmm. in your lecture, which sounded very important. (laughs) Can you talk about that? Yeah, so it it is kind of like what I mentioned before, that sort of physical therapy portion of it. You're not able to just put on hearing aids and then just go throughout your life. It's definitely something you have to train the brain on. So if you are home alone and not talking to anyone, but you're still having trouble getting used to your hearing aids, things like reading out loud or listening to music or listening to the TV helps just train your brain to hear those sounds again. Um, auditory rehabilitation classes are, are great as well because you're not only meeting with other people who have hearing loss, but you're also talking to people about what are some strategies that I can use in environments to help me with my auditory function. There are always things you can do to help along with the hearing aids, like facing someone when you're talking to them, making sure that you're not mumbling, you're speaking clearly. Loudly doesn't always help. Clearly is always better. So those type of things are, are taught and talked about in those sort of classes, which can help even further with the training of the brain. It's really truly auditory training is physical therapy for your auditory system. It sounds like important information for family members as well. Yes, absolutely. It's a huge factor for family members because you're, if you have hearing loss, you're not the only one who is affected by that hearing loss. Your family members, your friends, people you work with, all of them are affected as well because it affects your communication with them. So family members, it's important for them to understand that it's hard if you have hearing loss. It's a process. Your, your brain's really trying to learn again. So patience is important. 
making sure you're doing your best to be in that same room, focus on that person, speaking clearly, not speaking away from them. Turn down the TV for a second, pause the movie just to talk, uh, get their attention before you start speaking to them. All of those are huge impacts on someone's ability to communicate. And it's not just a burden on the person with hearing loss. If they get their hearing aids, they're wearing them, they're doing the work. Then it's also the burden on people who communicate with them, communication partners, to help with that and make sure that they're doing everything they can to help that person hear and communicate. Once a person gets their hearing aids, are there any things any programs online that people can Google and find <laughs> and do that, aside from, I can imagine how important it is if you can go to a professional who mm -hmm. has auditory rehabilitation set up, but let's say I'm not able to or whatever, or I want more. Mm -hmm. Are there some things that you might recommend that way? Yeah, I, any sort of cognitive puzzle is going to help keep your brain active, which is important no matter if you have hearing loss or not. But there are also websites and apps that can be used for cognitive puzzles and cognitive training. Uh, ones like Brain HQ or Lumosity are ones you can download or go online and use, and they have some free options there. And they'll have auditory training things that you can do, puzzles and games, uh, different ways that you can really start to focus in on and training your brain, hearing sounds, hearing music, hearing words, auditory memory, all of those can be impacted. So those sorts of cognitive apps and websites can be definitely useful for those situations. Oh, that's good to know. Thank you. I know that there's a feeling for some people that hearing aids might make them look old. <laughs> now, as a person who has siblings that have been wearing hearing aids for a long, long time, I don't have that connection between hearing aids and older ages. Mm -hmm. But what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, a lot of people start to think about the hearing aids that were a long time ago, their moms, their dads, their grandparents wore that were massive, the size of their palm, squealed all the time, were irritating to deal with, frustrating, massive, people noticed. And that's just not how hearing aids are these days. A lot more people have hearing aids than you would realize just because you don't see them. They're very invisible. And that's one part of it, but at the same time, they're not an indicator of age because hearing loss happens at a much younger age than we realize. If you have hearing aids, that doesn't mean that you're decrepit, <laughs> um, that you have one foot in the grave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it really is just there are either things that have happened in your life that have caused some damage, like you mentioned, as a kid or even a little bit older, or it is just we know hearing loss starts much younger than expected. So it really, I'm hoping that we start to kind of pull that apart, the idea of aging and you know being very old and having hearing aids because they're not related. Aging definitely causes hearing loss, but you don't need to be 80 before you start looking at hearing aids. You should be much younger looking at those. Is hearing loss being diagnosed more now? Yes, definitely. As people start to understand how big of an issue it is, 
family members <laughs> start to say, hey, I'm frustrated. You need to get this checked out. And then also just awareness of how much hearing loss impacts your life. A lot more people are, are coming in and saying, you know what? I know I need to do something. Let's talk about it. And as hearing aids get better and better with technology, more people are willing to look at them and say, maybe we should do something about the hearing. And there is also been a decrease of time between diagnosis of hearing loss and getting hearing aids, whereas in the past it was seven to 10 years, and now it's gone down a few years. So we're hoping that that keeps decreasing so that people don't have a diagnosis and then wait an inordinate amount of time and their brain's already starting to have a lot more cognitive defect. So it's gotten better. It's definitely gotten better, but we have a way to go. Well, hopefully the fact that more people are being diagnosed with it and probably more people wearing hearing aids will help those that have that negative connotation get over mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that's definitely the hope. And as hearing aids are easier to use and they're nicer to look at, more invisible, and just help with day-to-day -day life on such a, a great level, it does seem like more people are willing to be open to pursuing them at even a much younger age than they would expect. Good news. Yeah. I mentioned the effect your Ollie presentation had on me and how much I learned. And I also want to share that I know firsthand what an excellent audiologist you are, as my mother happens <laughs> to be one of your clients at the UNT Speech and Hearing Clinic. Now, how does a person go about selecting a good audiologist? Where do you start? The most important thing is making sure that they have the appropriate credentials. So an audiologist is someone with a doctor of audiology. The letters after their name are AUD. They are the ones who have been trained. They went through the full eight years of training to understand, diagnose, treat any disorders of the ear. And that's going to be the best person to diagnose you, to talk you through treatment and any sort of issues there. And that's the first step, making sure that you're finding an actual audiologist, not a tech, not someone who's had training for just a few months, but truly someone who is an expert in those areas. And then after that, just like any other doctor, word of mouth is a great way to, to go through it. Asking people around you, you know, you have hearing aids. Are you happy with them? Who did you go through? And that is a, a really great way to start to learn the audiologists in the area who have had great impact on their patients and who have been able to really help people around them. But the key factor is making sure that they are trained appropriately as an audiologist. I can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise and your knowledge, not only on the podcast, but you offer classes at mm -hmm. Ollie as well, and they are excellent, and the handouts are extremely enlightening, so I recommend that everyone run as soon as they can to sign up for Dr. Alsop's classes. And I thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Of course. It was great to be here. Thank you. This has been Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with UNT audiologist and clinical educator, Dr. Katherine Alsop. Thanks for listening. The Ollie at UNT podcast is recorded and edited by Susan Supak and produced by me, Jordan Williams. 
If you enjoyed this episode, check out our previous interviews and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. To receive email notifications about each new episode, join our email list at olli.unt.edu slash podcast.